So, what makes a tax system fair? Why should we pay taxes? Well, if you want to know that, listen to the last episode. And who should bear the burden of paying them? If you tuned into this episode and you're wondering about these questions, what the hell are you doing here? Go back, listen to part one. And if you have already listened to part one or you're really confident in your answers, then welcome to part two of Should We Tax the Dead? If that's what we're still calling it. TBD. Mm. It's mm. going to be something along that theme. Should we tax death? Maybe makes more grammatical sense. Uh, you, you get the uh, Impactful you want to be. We're talking about inheritance tax. That's also it. Also called the death tax. By those with an agenda of abolishing it. It's a form of wealth taxation. Important. Not income taxation, wealth taxation. Mm. It's a stock versus flow issue. Income is flow, what's coming in each year. Wealth is what currently accumulates. So wealth is at a certain point in time. Income only makes sense over a time period. How does the inheritance tax work? Uh, How should it work? And should we have it at all? If you paid taxes all your life, is it also fair that you should be taxed even when you're dead? Will the government stop at nothing to get their dirty hands on the spoils of your hard work? Or should we ratchet it up and make sure wealthy elites can't pass on vast fortunes to their indolent offspring? I love the word indolent. Indolent is so good. Is inheritance tax really a key policy to tackling wealth inequality and improving social mobility and avoid an entrenched class of Trumpians. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I don't need to explain that further. Welcome to the Morality of Everyday Things. I'm your co-host, Jacob. And I'm your co-host, Ant. For new listeners, welcome to the show. We tackle a range of everyday moral questions, the kind you might debate in the pub. As I mentioned in the last episode, why are you listening to this if you didn't listen to the last episode? This is actually a question that came up because I was chatting with someone in a pub. And they said, if someone can convince me of it, I'll change my mind. So I did. That's how I do people. I influence. Does this this make me an influencer? (laughs) Anyway, we equip you with all of the arguments, uh, including how you might apply important moral frameworks and principles. You're then, you know, obviously so much of moral or philosophical reasoning is subjective. We equip you to answer these for yourself, uh, but in a thoughtful way. The human experience is subjective. Truth doesn't exist in some metaphysical ether. Let's go watch TV. (laughs) It's very profound. You've clearly still been listening to your Nietzsche podcast. <laughs> anyway, for old listeners, welcome back. We'd like to say a big thank you to everyone who has left us a review. Uh, the count continues to go up, which is awesome. Um, I mean, not since last episode because we actually recorded these back to back. But <laughs> however, when we released it, I'm sure it will have gone up by yeah. at least like I, one or two. I will assume. I will assume <laughs> that in between. Welcome also to the listeners who found us from discussions on uh, Reddit recently around mm. goods uh, and the Royals. We also have a TikTok. Patreon and AKS Plus membership helps you avoid our ads, which are annoying. Housekeeping out of the way. Yes, let's dive into today's episode. So, defining fair taxes, Jake. We start with definitions, typically when we talk about things, or at least discussing the terms that we're going to be exploring. In philosophy, it's really important to define what you're talking about often, because it's so often with discussions or arguments, people bring different understandings of key terms to the table, and it's only later when the discussion gets heated that you're like, it seems that we're talking about different things, and we just never clarified that. Yeah, I feel like we do that all the time, and then at some point one of us is like, this is a semantic issue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the irony though is then when I think about like a Socratic dialogue, one of the annoying things in like a Socratic dialogue is, and granted, this isn't an actual dialogue, it's just a, a written by one person, so it's not a fair thing. But, you know, sometimes, okay, they agree on semantics, but then like, the semantics that they agree upon. One of the tricks of rhetoric is to get people to agree to semantics that are in their favor and not actually. Mm -hmm. And then like, it's hard to later having accepted the semantics, go back and be like, well, maybe the semantics aren't right. Yes, Socrates. Yeah. Yes, Socrates. (laughs) Well, if blah, 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 blah. Yes. (laughs) In part one, we defined taxation and looked at how the tax system is supposed to work in general. And as a really quick summary, taxes serve three functions. They pay for public goods, they influence behavior, and they redistribute wealth. A tax system is effective when it is simple, administratively easy, sufficient at raising funds, and it's fair. That's actually a two-sentence summary of the entire episode. So there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, don't bother listening to the rest of it. Uh, We also looked into some detail about why those functions are justified. The more interesting part. Yeah, maybe do 
listen to it for that reason. For example, a common complaint is that people don't benefit equally from public goods. Maybe you went to private school, and maybe you never used public libraries. You don't drive on public roads. You, you just helicopter everywhere. And <laughs> you never need the NHS anyway because of your great private health care. This misses the point. Social contract theory points to the fact that by being part of a society, no matter which public goods you directly use, you benefit from their presence because it's creating a more stable, functioning, wider world that you're living in. The fact that you can reliably buy things easily from your supermarket requires businesses who have a safe foundation of trust between them and that they can easily move things around using those public services like roads and stuff. So the fact that you can easily go and buy a little ham and cheese toasty, which gives you the free time to pursue all those things that pay for your private education and private <laughs> health care, really is part of a, the social betterment of public goods in our societies anyway. Yeah. And also the internalization of externalities. Sorry. Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time justifying um, public goods in particular. Influencing behavior is another function. Can get a bad reputation, but while on the one hand it can be seen as paternalistic or even cynically nudging, on the other hand, it's a critical way of correcting market imbalances and, like you just said, internalizing externalities. For example, a well-designed carbon tax would be a really good way of accounting for the cost of pollution that businesses don't bear, but society does. And this, this would be a really good thing. Lastly, and the big one when it comes to inheritance tax, how do we justify redistributing wealth? So some philosophers over time have argued that any redistribution is unfair. They can cite things like property rights, key tenant of society and see taxation redistribution basically as a form of theft or to take it even a step further taxation is slavery but this heavily libertarian view is not generally considered a popular one take the example of property rights you know in the last episode we talked about an example where if someone owns the key to saving the universe from destruction oh it's me yeah that would be jake <laughs> uh could we ever use an argument of property rights to say that they're you know ownership of that thing is more important than the general welfare of everyone else in the world. Yes. So, <laughs> there are also strong economic arguments in favour of redistribution. Redistributing wealth via progressive taxes and welfare payments is the most direct way of combating inequality. And we, we explored this in some detail, but this reduces poverty, should lead to increased economic stability, and to opportunity for the worst off. In theory, it should also promote growth by putting money in the hands of people with a higher MPC. There's, uh, those marginal, are the marginal propensity consumed. Yeah, sorry. That's giving a, money to people who will actually spend it. That's an acronym that's just sneaked in there. And I think one bit that we kind of haven't maybe spoken about a little bit is social mobility. Because mm. we mentioned opportunity. And I think it's funny how like very liberal systems that provide for social mobility, making it easier for people from worse situations to rise to the top, mm -hmm. right? It's ironic because on the one hand, the practicalities of how you create that is very liberal left. Some, some would say almost like, you know, socialist, which seems very counter to capitalism. But then actually the principle that like the best should succeed is a very capitalist perspective. So it's funny how you kind of have the way that you make the, the best outcome, i.e. the highest performers achieve the best things in society mm -hmm. or are fairly rewarded, which is a very capitalist perspective, requires a very socialist setup. Mm. So now let's look at inheritance tax. Inheritance tax is one such tool to redistribute wealth. Let's define it. So when you die, your last will and testament declares everything that you are passing on to your next of kin or whoever you choose. And also any final insults. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, if you don't have a will, this makes things more complicated and courts end up determining what you would reasonably have wished to happen. Now, everything you own is called your estate. The biggest items passed on in your estate will generally be your property, but it also includes cash, shares and other valuable assets like artwork or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. We said last episode that a good tax is one that is simple and administratively easy. Off the bat, I'd say inheritance tax fails this test. Uh, mm. There are lots of exemptions. There are variable thresholds, rules about gifting, and etc. And also, I mean, the estimation of the value of an estate. Yeah, yeah. And, it's all stuff that makes it tricky. Yeah, and also bearing in mind that an estate is not liquid cash, which means, okay, oh, we're going to take X percent of this estate. How, what, what part are you going to sell? Yeah. And how, right? Like, say the whole estate is a house worth a million. Just have the garage. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, how am I going to sell 25% of that? Yeah, agreed. So it's treated differently in the UK and the USA as well. Actually, very differently, as we'll just discuss. In the UK, inheritance. Inheritance tax 
currently at time of recording in October 2022. The date is October 14th, 2022. Quasi Quarteng has just been kicked out. <laughs> As Truss is still at the moment the Prime Minister. <laughs> yeah, give it a week. But well, you yeah. know what, actually, sorry, quick, quick detour. Sorry, American listeners. I was reflecting on this. Surely, at least within our lifetime, the last 20 to 30 years, mm-hmm. this is the worst start to a premiership, like, in in memory. Yeah, since the time that Charlton lost 4-0 to... <laughs> <laughs> but no, I agree. It's, uh, it's been crazy. Quasi Quarteng is the situation but like yeah man. he's the second shortest serving um chancellor ever in history i th- would have thought he'd been the worst but apparently there was a guy in mcleod who had a heart attack 30 days into the job so practically the shortest because yeah. you know death doesn't count but you get to tax someone then <laughs> <laughs> good segue back into back into the topic yes so in the uk inheritance tax has a three hundred and twenty-five thousand pound threshold that means you don't pay tax on anything worth less than that and you also don't pay taxes above that threshold if you pass it on to your spouse or to a charity if you pass your estate on to your children there's still a threshold, but it's actually higher. It's it's half a million. That's only if it's property, though. If you pass on property to your mm-hmm. children, the threshold is slightly higher. The rate of inheritance tax above those thresholds, those conditional thresholds, is 40%, which is equivalent to the higher rate, but not highest rate. So between 50 and 150K, you pay 40% in income tax. Yep. Above that, you pay 45%. They wanted to scrap that. That's why that guy, Kwasi Kwarteng, who was the chancellor of the Exchequer, has been kicked out because it was a stupid suggestion to cut that when, <laughs> you know, oh, there's a cost of living crisis. What we need is to give tax cuts to the richest. <laughs> of course, trickle down economics. That worked so well in the 90s <laughs> and 80s. Anyway, so to make the numbers easy, you know, we're saying that it was 40%. Let's say you pass a 1 million pound, this is the UK, estate to your child. The threshold when passing on to your children is half a million. So you would owe 40% of 500k, which is 200k. If you were the recipient of 1 million property and you didn't have 200k handy, you'd be forced to sell the property and repay the tax from the proceeds of that sale. Another complication is the gifting rule. So inheritance tax doesn't just occur at point of death. Anything you've given away in the seven years before you died are also subject to tax, although there is an annual exemption of 3k. You remember we talked about simple? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why seven years? I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? I genuinely don't know. And there's also, there's a decreasing tax rate depending on how far back in time you go. So if you gave it seven years ago, it's actually not as high as 40%. It's like on a sliding scale. So, oh. but just, oh, so there's still some benefit if you give it five years rather than seven years. Yeah, it's it marginally be better. If you gave it like the day before you died, it's very it's much like, 40%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny because this gifting rule, I don't know if you mentioned it later, but you, you said to me the other day that like all of these rules and exemptions and the effective tax loopholes around inheritance tax basically push it into a situation where it's like, it's only relevant if you're like completely alone. Mm-hmm. In which case, who are you going to give your stuff to anyway? Or if you don't trust the people you're giving the money to. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, who do I trust? less the state or my kids <laughs> yeah yeah we'll come back to that that's a good quote yeah that was the uk uh now in the usa they have what's called estate taxes and they also have inheritance tax too but only in some states and the nuance between inheritance tax and an estate tax is that inheritance tax is payable by a person who inherits money or property whereas an estate tax is levied directly on the estate of the person who's died normally before those things are inherited right so so it gets kind so, of arbitrated yeah and so to clarify with the uk it generally functions more as an estate tax unless it's that situation you're talking about where like, oh, I've received a 1 million property and I can't pay the 200K, so it needs to be sold and then I'll get 800K. So you generally receive the inheritance net of the tax that's due, right? In some ways, the nuance... If we don't know, that's, it, it doesn't no, matter. I, I, it is an inheritance tax in the UK it's, it, and it's payable by the person who inherits, but in some ways it's a, it's a slightly irrelevant nuance because basically in the US it just means that the estate is taxed and then it's passed on. In the UK, it's passed on and you're responsible for the tax but in practice, there's I yeah, don't, much, much I'm not a lawyer. There probably are sort of differences <laughs> not that's significant there. <laughs> there isn't a federal inheritance tax in the USA. There is a federal estate tax, 
But, and this is funny contrast, it only applies to estates larger than $12 million, which means only around 0.2% of estates in the USA are affected. Now, notably, this has followed a downward trend. It used to be estate tax affected about 1% to 2% of households. But the Trump administration ramped up the threshold. They basically doubled it from like around sort of 5, 6 million to 12 million. Estate taxes are also due at a state level in 15 states, whereas inheritance taxes are only due in six states. We've got the list. It's Iowa, Kentucky, Maryland, Nebraska, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And like the UK, the one similarity is the rate of federal estate tax is also 40%. Mm. So in the UK, inheritance tax, this is the crazy bit, right? Considering how emotively strong people feel about this, Mm -hmm. inheritance tax accounts for less than 1% of the annual tax income for the government. Specifically, it's around 0.7%. I mean, borderline irrelevant. Compared with other tax receipts, the amount raised by inheritance tax is very small. It's only 5 billion a year in recent years, estimated to be about 6.7 in the current year by the OBR. What's the OBR? Uh, Office of Budget Responsibility. (laughs) Makes sense. In the UK, VAT, national insurance contributions and income tax contribute more than 20% each to the overall tax bill. So relatively, I mean, this is, you know, sub 5% of any of those individual ones, let alone all of them put together. However, considering inheritance tax bites at a time when households have lost loved ones and that its wealth has been accumulated after having already paid those other taxes, Mm. it's easy to see why it's so emotive. Well, it's easier to see why it's so emotive. And just to add to those stats, in the USA, the amount raised was only $13 billion which although that sounds big, that makes up less than 0.4% of the US's total tax receipts. So again, really quite small on the yep. scale of things like income tax. Yep. Basically, when someone dies, I think part of the reason people find this so stressful, inheritance tax is another layer of stress that people don't want to have to deal with. Interestingly, it seems to affect way more British households. So it's surprising that it gets so much airtime in the USA. I guess everyone there is an aspiring millionaire, right? It's famously a place that celebrates the American dream and personal capitalist success. So in some ways, yeah, I get that. When we released our episode on, you know, should billionaires exist, I think the strongest pro-billionaire reaction generally came from across the pond. And I'm going to hazard a guess that the people who were pro-billionaires weren't billionaires themselves. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was Jeff Bezos who was like, you guys are wrong. <laughs> yeah, on Reddit. <laughs> anyway, now armed with the context of what makes a fair tax system and specifically how inheritance tax works, it is time to ask the question we've been building up to the whole time. Should we tax the dead? But first, allow us to generate 2% of our overall uh, production costs with this mid-roll. <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing. Why are people so emotive about it? Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. Welcome back. Inheritance taxes, or estate taxes in the USA, seem to serve all three functions of a fair tax system. Remember, we looked at these in the previous episode. Now, interestingly, receipts are not ring-fenced in any way or allocated against a particular spend account. So inheritance tax feeds into the general pool of government tax income. Therefore, they can be spent on any public goods. The receipts from inheritance tax, even though in the UK, like we said, they only total about 5 to $7 billion, or $13 billion in the US, that money can be spent on anything from schools to roads. So it's generally useful for prison yeah. public goods. Yeah. So clearly it achieves that first one. It, it's helping to provide public goods that helps explain why it could be justified using those three reasons that why we tax and, and why those reasons are justified we explained before. Public goods, tick. The other two that we we're talking about were influencing behavior and redistributing wealth. Well, as a result of directly targeting wealthy estates, 
there are some arguments as to why it would achieve both, and very particularly the third one. Mm-hmm. Proponents of inheritance tax throughout history have seen it as a tool to promote intergenerational competition and innovation, whilst combating indolence and entitlement. Mm-hmm. Passing wealth down through generations to heirs allows families to concentrate property ownership, thus denying the prospect to others. It creates a landed class. For anyone who hasn't, go check out our episode on property entitled "And Landlord's Evil. In summary, inheritance tax is supposed to influence behavior in terms of discouraging idle wealth, and it redistributes wealth since it mostly affects wealthy families. I just quickly want to say on that as well. It balances the issue that the returns to capital are higher than returns to labor, classic mm. Picty, with our desire to provide for our children, right? Because mm-hmm. the argument is basically, I would say, I'm, I'm skipping to the end here, by the way, my personal moral perspective is that generally inheritance tax, the threshold should be high enough that you satisfy that feeling that like, okay, I'm making sure my children will be all right. A man provides. A man provides, <laughs> but not so high that then actually, you know what, in a completely paternalistic, but you know what, I'm just sharing my opinion. I'm not for enforcing it in people's lives. You also don't want to end up in a position where you're like, actually, I almost want to say making your children worse, mm. spoiling them, right? Like you want to make sure that they're going to be okay. And if you've built up that wealth, great, you should pass that on. But you don't want to turn them into, this is a very subjective perspective, but you don't want to turn them into those kind of Trumpian types where it's like the fact that they've never had to do anything has started to almost corrupt them to the point of thinking that they're smart and are successful when they're just constantly falling upwards. Some people call this, uh, in in articles I was reading, the Paris Hilton tax. Yes, yes. (laughs) And it's kind of that point, right, about it's basically inheritance tax as a way of enforcing the idiom around teach a man to fish rather than give a man to fish. Exactly. I mean, what, what is what is the social benefit? I mean, again, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be able to provide for their children to the point of them having enough to mm-hmm. make sure that they're going to be okay. But there's a limit to that far below a 12 million estate. Mm. Uh, and actually, one thing on that that I don't agree with with the UK is that it's not based on the number of inheritors you have, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or the number of people that you reasonably could be seen to be like providing for. It was a 325k limit, right? Yeah. If you have four children... That's less than 100K each, mm-hmm. which is significantly less than a property, mm-hmm. right? Which I, and I think that's a reasonable benchmark of like enough to own a property is enough to make sure that they're going to be okay. Like it doesn't mean they'll never need to work again, but it means that like, you know, they'll, they'll they have somewhere to live. They have somewhere to live, which is like a nice kind of benchmark in my mind. Sorry, I, I skipped ahead and went off script there. That's okay. Another interesting behavioral influence of inheritance tax is that it does increase charitable receipts because yeah. leaving estates to charity is one of the exemptions that avoids the tax being paid on your estate. So common effect is that actually all these sort of rich multimillionaires for, for whom the tax bites, they end up giving lots of money to charity. And there are concerns that if you got rid of it, charitable receipts would drop. Got you. Okay, so let's let's work through a little example there. Uh, we said that if you have a... Let's, let's imagine it's... Um, for sake of easy numbers, let's say you have a 500k property in the mm-hmm. UK and 500k in cash, mm-hmm. right? And so you have a, a 1 million overall estate. estate. You'd pay 40% of the amount over 500k. So that's a 200k out of the 500 cash. Some people may choose to say, okay, fine, I will just donate half of that incremental 500k, so 250 to charity. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing something that I feel good about uh, and supporting. And then I'm reducing my tax bill from 200k to 100k because it's half, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, it's net costing me 350, so it's more than the 200, but I've got to do 250 to charities that I personally care about. Mm-hmm. So some people are like, you know what, I'd actually prefer that. So that's the incentive where it's driving people to do charity. 
However, the flip side, the perverse influence of inheritance tax is that it creates a lot of business for tax consultants. <laughs> you can mm. suss out loopholes for the very rich to avoid paying inheritance tax at all. One thing we just mentioned, by setting up charitable trusts and other such financial instruments, um, you can you can do this, or by offshoring your property. And this is this is one we'll come back to because that's quite a big one. Mm. So wealthy estates can benefit by setting up charitable trusts or other financial instruments or doing things like offshoring property. Wealthy estates can be passed between generations tax-free and then the net result is inheritance taxes bypassed altogether. Society doesn't benefit. The only people who really benefit are tax the, consultants. Yeah, the heirs and the tax consultants. And because um, these kind of arrangements come with a fee, they're unlikely to make sense for the vast majority of families who only just pass the threshold because mm. this is the kind of thing that comes with multimillionaire territory. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is the classic thing where like, there's a big tax on being poor, like you get bad credit, it's hard mm. to access uh, services. But there's also a tax on being middle class versus extremely rich mm-hmm. because you don't have enough wealth that the fixed cost of this, you know, expensive tax planning makes sense or setting up offshore, offshore accounts and stuff makes sense. The result is that a lot of people don't realize through tax loopholes and stuff legally, the richest pay the lowest percentage, like lower than the poorest of the poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, rich people could pay, in some cases, literally zero mm. uh, tax by, quote unquote, structuring it cleverly. One thing just to say, though, you said setting things up as charitable trusts. That's not to be confused with legit charitable contributions. This is when you're like setting up entities that are charities that can accept donations that you can leave the money to that your heirs yeah. can then yeah, yeah, run. Yeah. So it's uh, exactly yes. morally and dodgy. We're setting up a charity. I'll leave all the money to this charity. <laughs> the Anthony Foundation. Yeah. And, <laughs> and my son will be the CEO of the charity and yeah. he can set his salary. Yeah. And like, hey, maybe it might do some good as well. The main purpose is to give them to give them a job, quote unquote, the parasite mm-hmm. effect. For those who aren't multimillionaires but are concerned about the tax, you'll remember the rules about gifting. I'm not sure what they are in the US, but I assume it's similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, one way to play the system is to just give away gifts in advance of your death. Although you'd need to anticipate your death by at least seven years, you know, not seven days as per the ring. (laughs) Seven days. (laughs) Wow, that's a flashback. (laughs) An odd, I'm not sure if it's intentional, behavioral influence there is that it's encouraging older generations to do their estate planning and actually pass on wealth a little earlier. I could see an argument that that's actually a positive thing. It's, It's more constructive for families with children who are at a point in their life where they're actually spending money to hold on to or have access to income and wealth than retirees who aren't doing very much anyway, mostly just sitting on their wealth. Yeah, it's, it should be a good way of keeping the um, keeping money circulating and also it avoids the expense and complications that come with people who don't have a will and don't sort things out and the courts have to arbitrate. So it's encouraging people to do estate planning. True. Yeah, so that's, that's potentially a good thing. Now, plenty of politicians and thinkers throughout history have advocated inheritance tax. Uh, or advocated for it. And other systems of uh, taxing property as well uh, when it moves between generations, since property is almost always the most valuable part of an estate. Even stamp duty can be seen as a form of this, in effect. Adam Smith, Thomas oh, right, Jefferson. Because stamp duty applies when you change ownership, including yeah. from so, the new diet. Go, 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 go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Adam Smith, Thomas Jefferson, Andrew Carnegie, Teddy Roosevelt, and Winston Churchill, all famous politicians and thinkers that you'll recognize, they all regarded inheritance tax as a really important way to combat entitlement. And Churchill called it a corrective against the development of the idle rich, which is yeah, quite a nice quote. I like that. It, it's really this idea of like, look, creating some intergenerational benefit is a, a human drive, but like, you don't want our modern democracies to have effective aristocracies, right? Mm. Which, in truth, they do. Like, you know, when you think about the, the children and the children's children and the children's children of billionaires, first of all, you know, from a, a kind of moral, personal, subjective perspective, do you generally think of happy people? 
or like fulfilled people? You know, are they actually doing them a favor there? And then secondly, like, are those people not in effect aristocrats? They have no need to be functional within society, whereas everyone else is part of this capitalist paradigm where it's like you're contributing value. You're contributing and value. That, that's and, and you know that's part of also a big part of your sense of meaning or should mm. be like contributing to others, being being a functioning part. Anyway, we have a quote here from Andrew Carnegie, which you very well could have said you basically did earlier. Mm. The parent who leaves his son enormous wealth generally deadens the talents and energies of the son and tempts him to lead a less useful and less worthy life than he otherwise would. Bit sexist, but, you know, put it in the context of the time. Inheritance tax done properly, then, should remove the disincentive to contribute to society. It's a nice double negative. What it's saying is it should inspire you to contribute or at least not to be complacent. The argument is that if you can't just pass on vast fortunes to your children, it's therefore important to invest in their education and social skills to equip them to add value, to be able to function, to not become the overweight, inbred monarchies of, you know, the Middle Ages. Mm. I mean, when you think about those people, do you think about, like, yeah, like great? To, to be fair, to some extent, some of them are brought up to be great thinkers and leaders because they have so much space and time to do that. They had the access to the best education yeah. at the time. So, you know, there's also, when you think of kings and stuff, generally you think of, like, irresponsible, etc., etc. We've talked in the past about Thomas Piketty uh, and his observation that the returns to capital outweigh the returns to labor. Inheritance tax helps to disperse capital. So it's a powerful policy tool to address the inequality that Piketty documents. So that would kind of lead me to kind of, like I was saying earlier, oh, it needs by all means provide enough, quote unquote, to your children. But I guess the point of enough would be below the point at which the returns to their capital is something far beyond what they'd need to spend anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, arguably, you shouldn't even give them enough capital to like not need to work. But, you know, maybe that's seen as a threshold of like enough. As I said earlier, I feel like a nice common sense limit is like a place to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll come to that in a second. But firstly, what do people think who don't agree? What about the Whoopi Goldbergs who complain about the TEF tax? Why do they feel this way? Well, the reason inheritance tax is perceived as unfair is because it's seen as a form of double tax. Take the case of a hardworking family who saved and built up assets all their lives and no doubt paid taxes along the way as they accumulated these savings and these assets. Why should they be then taxed again at point of death when a lot of that work will have been in service of providing for their families to whom they would like to pass the results of their accumulated hard work? That's the reason people call it the death tax and and see it in this kind of negative light. Right. So what people find frustrating is that inheritance tax penalizes those families and yes, it's treated as optional by the very wealthy for whom it is supposed to bite because they can do that tax planning, right? Oh, here's Uh, the quote. Here's the quote that you enjoyed. The Labour politician Lord Jenkins once stated that inheritance tax is a voluntary levy paid by those who distrust their heirs more than they dislike inland revenue. (laughs) I love that. He's basically saying the very rich can pay specialist tax consultants to avoid the tax unless they choose to pay it voluntarily because they think their next of kin would do a worse job of spending the money. I think it also says something about like how much you trust your heirs for you to just pass your wealth on Mm -hmm. voluntarily. Mm-hmm. As opposed to being forced to by death. It's also about using loopholes. It's, it's yeah. the two points. Um, exactly. There's an example that really hammers this point home that you are going to absolutely love. In 2002, the Queen Mother is understood to have left her entire £50 million estate to her daughter, our former Queen, Elizabeth II. Sorry, we can't clarify who the Queen Mother is. The Queen's mother? What? The, sorry, well, no, not anymore. <laughs> she was the Queen's mother. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which is Charles's grandmother. Yes. Which is the wife of King... George. That's it. So... That included, that estate, that £50 million estate, included art, jewels, antiques, and thoroughbred racehorses. A deal made with John Major's government in 1993 ensured that the Queen avoided approximately £20 million in inheritance tax on her mother's estate. And the same has just happened with uh, King Charles, I believe, I believe. I'm sure it has, yep, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so here lies the challenge. Inheritance tax is unpopular among the rich, but it's also increasingly unpopular amongst the growing or aspiring middle class. Which is an irony, because based on the systems that we have, like we were saying earlier, people are worried about these double taxes, etc. Disproportionately, it doesn't really matter to them. 
them, they're not going to pay very much anyway. Mm-hmm. Hence, it's only 0.7% in the UK of overall tax bills. But anyway, the kind of people who would benefit from his redistributive effects are more concerned by the impact it will have on them and their families than actually is the case. Mm. It more benefits them because it's just tax revenue for, for public goods. There's a societal individual conflict. We talked about this before in our episode on private schools, for example. In this case, what's bad for the individual is good for society. No one wants to pay inheritance tax, especially when a family member dies. That's an emotive point as well, even if they could see the benefits at the societal level. Now, the average household value in the UK is £420,000, which is above the inheritance tax threshold, although just below the £500,000 threshold for children. The voters affected by it consider the tax immoral because they want to be able to pass on their estates unimpeded and they see the death tax as a form of double taxation. It's a final insult. Summing it all up, it's for that reason that a lot of people have called for it to be abolished and and why it gets such an unpopular rap as a tax. We called it small, but abolishing the inheritance tax would wipe out five to seven billion in annual tax receipts. For context, that is about 10% the cost of servicing national debt. Yeah. So, you know, meaningful contribution there. It would also save administrative hassle. So admittedly, actually, the net saving or net loss would be smaller than five to seven billion. Mm-hmm. And it would also save people angst at the point where people die. But we'd also lose most, you know, probably really key, the redistributive benefits, both literally like tax income we can use to fund redistribution, but particularly also, you know, as we were saying there, avoiding effective taking from the rich. To, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Avoiding the, the entrenchment of dynastic wealth. It would also put some number of tax consultants out of business and also <laughs> lawyers and whatever else. There's a strong economic case that wealthy families would continue to get wealthier and inequality would grow at a greater rate, but will probably continue irrespective. On the other hand, uh, and this is like a second order effect, There is an argument that abolishing inheritance tax could lead to wealth creation. As we mentioned, tax consultants come up with creative solutions to avoid inheritance tax for the uber-rich. And as a result, a lot of wealthy people move abroad as uh, non-doms. And the UK net loses out. To avoid inheritance tax, you offshore all your wealth to the Cayman Islands, then that's income the UK... Or to Monaco, or to Dubai, or to wherever else. Yeah, that's income the UK doesn't get to count, and tax receipts it's missing out on. And potentially, by abolishing inheritance tax, it could actually lead more wealthy people to retain their capital in the UK. And so, possibly, one of those things would be, you abolish it, and you actually net increase things. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to weigh out, to be fair. I mean, like, it's not just offshoring to tax havens, it's also offshoring actually just to places with more advantageous tax systems. So I know, for example, we gave the example of the USA. You know, if you're 50, 60, you own assets in the UK, you're very strongly incentivized to either hand them over to your children, let's say 60, 70, not 50, 60. Mm. You're either incentivized to hand them over to your children or think about selling them and moving them to somewhere else where the tax laws will be more advantageous for inheritance if it's just about transferring wealth, not things that you need in a, as a family are using. Is there anything else we could do short of giving up on inheritance tax? Because, uh, you know, should we tax the dead? Should we abolish inheritance tax? Whatever phrasing we go with, that's what people are calling for. But what else could we do instead? Mm-hmm. Well, one way would be, uh, you know, that would focus on the peas in the middle classes and talks a little bit about what I said earlier, uh, just as an intuitive answer, while still being able to tax the super rich would be to just raise the threshold. The higher the threshold, the lower the tax receipts, though. So one way to uh, to do this would be to that would appease the middle classes and talks a little bit about what I was talking about before, like because I was talking about like, oh, passing on properties, the number of children you have, etc., um, while still taxing the rich would be to raise the threshold and perhaps amend how the threshold is determined. So one thing would be how many inheritors do you have and, mm-hmm. and basing it on that. However, the higher the threshold, the lower the tax receipts. And considering that tax does itself cost money to administer, you know, just having the bureaucracy of like checking things and all that, even if the checking only confirms it not to be paid. At some point, inheritance tax would become too expensive to justify if we set the threshold too high. Is that actually true? Because I would, I would actually imagine that of the 0.7%, a very disproportionate amount is paid by the 
largest estates, not by those who are near anywhere near the threshold. Yeah. So, I mean, some figures to back it up that I found was if the inheritance tax had been, the threshold, sorry, had been raised to a million pounds, for example, estate estimates indicate that the tax receipts would drop by as much as 70%. So they looked at like 2012, where they only raised about 3 billion from inheritance tax. And they figured if the estate limit had been a million, they'd actually only have raised like 700k. Or well, less. that's also not considering inflation. A million now would not be as much as a million back then. Mm-hmm. First of all, that would still make over a billion. Arguably, at that point, not worth it. The one thing that highlights to me is the impact that you were saying of tax planning and gifting and stuff. Basically, the people that this is really biting is your average, maybe not even middle class person. You know, someone grew up in a council estate in London, ended up buying their home at some point. Home is worth 600, 700k because it's a three bed somewhere relatively central. Mm. Uh, that's. It sounds like that's the person who's getting bitten. Mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. you know the person with a 10 million estate because you, you know that stat if, if that stat is true 70 percent would fall just by raising the threshold to a hundred to 1 million 70 percent is being paid by people who are in the 325 slash 500 of its property to 1 million range anyone with sense with more than a million is just avoiding the hell out of it yeah exactly which is like which is the, yeah and that's the fear right and in some respects i mean that raising the threshold is the kind of approach america has taken it's gone for a really high threshold affecting a relatively tiny proportion of the population but obviously the levels of wealth that apply at that level generate really large receipts so the trouble is discussed is that because they're so wealthy they have access to paying for specialist tax consulting offshoring wealth etc it's a really difficult balance to strike to be mm. honest i would say that my intuitive answer is that you should marry the increase of the threshold based on some moralistic or, or reasonable argument mm-hmm. like i said i think two major considerations is how much does a property cost in the country mm-hmm. and how many inheritors are there, right? How you determine what's a legitimate inheritor. I don't know, you could care for your nephews or whatever and mm. you know reasonably want to do something like that. But there could be some reasonable systems for working that out. Increasing the threshold or setting the threshold based on that. And then the other one being focusing on closing those loopholes. Actually, relevant to our previous episode on property and landlords, if more property was taxed when people die, then more of it would need to be sold to pay for inheritance tax. And actually, this could help ease house price inflation, getting more properties onto the market and giving more people access to buy property. If anything, this is actually an argument we should make the threshold lower so that more people are forced to pay it and we get more houses onto the property market because... In addition yep. to a growing middle class, we have an aging population and it's actually quite a good way to affect house price liquidity. Yeah, it's true. Or probably, housing liquidity. There's probably too many houses that are underutilized, like, you know, people who had a family who've moved out and, you know, didn't necessarily downsize. So they're overusing space. This is why, like, the bedroom tax came into effect. Mm. Is that still a thing? I can't remember. Mm. Uh, that was where you were paying tax for unused bedrooms to encourage people to move to smaller properties. I could see an argument for this. It ensures that like property isn't underutilized because we discussed in the property episode like you have these kind of incidental landlords, which is, this is a good example. You've just inherited a property. If you had to pay more tax, it would make holding onto a property that you don't actually need to use a much more meaningful consideration. However, if you had to pay more tax on a property you actually did want to use or need to use, then that mm. kind of counter- counter- counteracts that intuitive, emotional feeling of like, I want to provide for my children mm-hmm. and family. One thing this just reminded me of which is a ridiculous tangent, just the uh, the ghost realtor. <laughs> if you're taking property that someone's died in, there was that Nathan Few episode where like one in four people believe in ghosts and actually they designed this real estate service around like, we will help find you ghost-free properties. <laughs> <laughs> it's better to be number one in a niche, right? Yeah. Ghost-free property. Oh man. All okay. these important considerations. So time to wrap that up. So to answer whether inheritance tax is fair or should be abolished, we can answer from a moral point of view, do you agree with it in principle? And then from a kind of policy point of view, does it actually achieve its stated aims? So morally, I think the case is strong. Easy access to unearned wealth negates the incentive to work and innovate. Children of wealthy families already have access to better education and the other trappings of a privileged upbringing before considering that they stand to inherit the family fortune. Redistributing that wealth is a very direct way to transfer from richer families specifically to poorer families. And the effect on the property market is also quite compelling. Yeah. Not to mention, we're not talking about 
stealing all of their wealth, you know, which is, I think, the image too many people have in their head. We're talking about a high threshold to ensure that, you know, you're giving meaningful wealth to your mm-hmm. children and then a marginal rate. So only some of the additional is being taxed. Like they're still going to get mm-hmm. plenty of it, most of it by far. Mm-hmm. From a policy point of view, however... The case is a little less clear. The evidence suggests that inheritance tax does have an effect. You know, the five to seven billion in tax receipts indicates that the constraint clearly is binding on some people. They are paying meaningful mm-hmm. inheritance tax. But the reality may well be that the very wealthiest families who are the people you're really trying to impact with this aren't actually the people who are paying this. Like we said, seven. if you increase the threshold in the UK to one million, 70% of people are not paying inheritance tax, which suggests it's that real you know, people in the middle slash lower end who are having to pay this, mm. uh, who are passing on one property in London, not people who are actually doing estate planning. And then in the case of somewhere like the US, the threshold is so high that anyone who's paying it is like 12 million is more than enough to ensure that any reasonable number of children mm. are going to be fine. Yeah, indeed, indeed. I think overall, the emotion surrounding inheritance tax makes it feel like more of a talking point than an actual issue. I mean, it reminds us of the furore that gets kicked up around anecdotal cases of benefits fraud. People get really spooked that vast sums of money are being siphoned to undeserving fraud And although some amount of that probably does happen, on balance, it's a tiny issue. And putting effort into closing loopholes that let millionaires and corporations dodge taxes would likely return way more value to society and also more than compensate for any benefit fraud that's going on. Yeah, it's really, it's one of those ones where it's more emotive and PR than it is practical. Mm. Like the the worry like, oh, there are people defrauding benefits. Like, first of all, you know, it's a bit like when people say like, oh, like there are people out begging who actually don't need to be. And it's like, listen, mate, like if they're in a life situation where their best choice is pretending to be a beggar or pretending to be disabled to beg for money... Like, I think their life is still probably not that great. So like, likewise, if someone is being a benefit fraud, I think they're still like, okay, maybe they're choosing not to work, whatever. But we're talking about someone taking like sub minimum, not sub minimum wage, but you know what I mean? Like a tiny, Mm. tiny contribution from the government. Even if there's a lot of them, you know, it's very little on one billionaire being able to pass on their wealth without Mm -hmm. paying 40% marginal on the threshold, right? Like one billionaire paying 40% marginal on one billion is 400 million. That Mm. more than covers benefits fraud that people are worrying about. It's it's pure PR and emotions, not like which one actually matters. Exactly. And and similarly, inheritance tax doesn't affect that many people. And those whom it does, considering they are inheriting wealth at that point in time, they're more than capable of paying it. I think what happens here is you get these sad sentimental cases of people whose family home has to be put up for sale when a parent dies because they can't afford to pay the tax on inheriting it. And they're like, oh, all these memories and, you know. Yeah. That is sad, uh, for sure, unless they're directly living there, you know, and I think there are exemptions around that anyway. Well, 500k is quite a high bar, right? Yeah. Like, if you're granted, okay, it's sad to lose a family home, but like, if you're losing a family home that's worth over 500k, and you're receiving the difference on the sale after the 40% after, say, you're Mm. selling a million pound home. The one thing I will say is that maybe these thresholds need to be, one, reconsidered for more regional differences, Mm. uh, and two, reconsidered for inflation. Because my only thing is, like, actually, on the other hand, a family home on the outskirts of London could be a million pounds Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right and you could legitimately be living there with your parents and your parents could pass and you'd be like we need to move now Mm. however to the the counterpoint to that if you were living there with your parents and your parents died that means that you don't need as many bedrooms so it's actually perhaps efficient (laughs) for the i know it's a bit callous but it's (laughs) maybe a bit efficient for the property market where it's like well you know if you can't afford to be there and you'd be underutilizing it then maybe you shouldn't retain it let's say you really want to stay there the difference the 200k you know get a lodger and get a mortgage it's mm. not it's not insane like if you if you have a job if you've been living at a family home so you're not covering the mortgage or whatever it's basically owned you know taking out a mortgage of 200k to stay in that place isn't that unreasonable an ask 
Otherwise, if it's not tenable for you, maybe it's not unreasonable to ask you to downsize. Can't wait for the uh, <laughs> the reaction to that. But yeah. yeah, maybe that's too harsh. I don't know. All that does is underscore the point that this becomes overly yeah. emotive considering the this skeleton does, facts. This does. And you know what? This also, I've, I've fallen into the exact trap that I was just describing. That situation I just described, one, very marginal, small mm-hmm. number of people. Two, not what matters. Like what matters is social redistribution, real social redistribution, like taking 200K from that person is not really what we are trying to do with inheritance tax. Right. I've said before, like, I think the threshold should be high enough that, you know, passing, say, like reasonable property is okay. So, yeah, like I said, it should account for inflation. It should account for differences in some areas. So, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if a property is significantly over the average for an area, then maybe it should be due for tax. Nice. Well, I mean, I guess we've kind of given our thoughts there. You've more or less summed up your position on should we tax the debt? And I think we'd agree. The answer is yes, but we'd change the current policy probably to make it more. Yeah, the answer is yes, but it's not even doing what it's supposed to do. I I would say my nuanced answer is we should have better systems for stopping dynastic wealth. But inheritance tax seems like it's an incredibly bad way of doing it at the moment. Mm. It's very easy to avoid. And that the people it's biting are people who are not that wealthy. I suppose still on a relative scale, if you're passing 325 to 1 million compared to the average person in the UK, relatively, you're you know relatively well off, but it's not really what it's about. It's about stopping this crazy dynastic wealth, the Paris Hilton effect. It's not mm. doing that. And if it's not doing that and it's not contributing that much to tax revenue, maybe it shouldn't be continued. Mm. Maybe there would be better ways, irrespective of inheritance yep. tax, maybe some sort maybe, of property passing tax or... Yeah, or, or maybe, maybe the way that you do it is you take the Whoopi Goldberg argument, right? You take like, look, okay... The wealth that you've built up has already been taxed. So we're dropping inheritance tax, but we're taxing you more at the point where you're earning your wealth. Mm. But that doesn't fix the fundamental problem of like... The redistributive effect is nice. I think that's the... It's nice in theory, but in practice, it doesn't seem to exist. Yeah, right? that's the challenge. And I, I think that the, the fundamental problem is, okay, you set the bar higher, you're still going to end up... The thing that you want to avoid is... Imagine you take a bowl and turn it upside down, right? Mm. You put a marble on top of the bowl, mm-hmm. right? And the bowl falls one way or the other, right? Mm. That's basically the problem with capital in society at the moment. You reach a certain point where you get high enough up from the ball that you're going to fall down one way. Mm-hmm. Any lower than that, you're inevitably being dragged down the other way, right? That's the problem with wealth distribution in society at the moment. You reach like a critical mass of capital where the returns on your capital are high enough that they're mm. making more than you're spending anyway. And then it's just going to like go faster and faster because of compound, right? Yeah. And inheritance tax allows too many people to just do that instantly for their children. Like, yeah, okay, by all means, enjoy the wealth you've earned, but at least earn it. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Interesting. It sounds like you're slightly changing your position from where we started. It's one of those ones we're talking about. It has changed my view. The moral case is strong, but the policy practical case yeah, is well, it's weaker. Like the moral case I feel extremely strongly on. Yeah. The practical case is like, this isn't stopping dynastic wealth. All it's doing is hurting middle-class people who like, like I said, compared to the average, are still very wealthy, but it's not really biting where we really care about, which is like stopping aristocrats. Yeah. And it's not generating that much tax revenue to the point that the administration is probably, I mean, the administration is not going to be mil- billions, but like when you think about the emotive costs, the cost of uh, all these lawyers and stuff that don't need to exist and be doing something more useful with their lives, <laughs> all the tax consultants and stuff like, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe it is a net benefit to just get rid of. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting one, a bit like the royals where like, after we talked about it for a long time, I was like, oh God, maybe getting, maybe getting rid of them. Yeah. But no, no, no. I, I, I stand by what we suggested earlier is my position. Higher thresholds that are more considerate of actual property prices and number of inheritors and closing loopholes. Yeah. And absent of that, just get rid of it. All it's doing is buying 
lower middle class people. I, I wouldn't get rid of it unless we had some alternative that we thought that we thought was going to effectively combat the passage of dynastic wealth. Yes. I'm just not yeah, sure yeah. what that is, but maybe like a sort of family stamp duty or something like that. Something like that. I don't know. There must be things. A, a more direct death tax, <laughs> yeah. so that it can't just be avoided. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, guys, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. Tell us what you think. Send us your thoughts. And if you liked it, leave a review. Share it with your friends. Mm. Tell your mom. Definitely tell your mom. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. You can subscribe to ACAST Plus if you don't want to hear the ads. One's about to come. And of course, you can always leave a review. Let us know your thoughts. Reach out to us. Goodbye. We'll be back.